title of my message this morning is Faith Over Feelings, and we're going to be continuing in our theme of healing. We've had so much good teaching, haven't we, lately about the miracle power of God, about healing. And so uh, when I was talking to Pastor Don during the week, I asked him, you know, what, what would you have been preaching on if you were going to be here Sunday? And this was the title that he gave me, and he left the rest up to me, the rest up to the Holy Spirit. So... I'm trusting it's going to be uh, quite similar to what he would have preached. So, let's just begin reading. Now, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was great and honourable man in the eyes of his master because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valour, but a leper. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back, the captive, brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master, who is the king, saying, Thus and thus said the girl who was from the land of Israel. The king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised when this letter comes to you that I have sent Naaman my servant to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. And it happened when the king of Israel read this letter, that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive? that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. And so it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he had sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Verse 9, Then Naaman went with his horses and chariot and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave a hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are there not the Abana and the Farpah, Rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his aides, and came and stood before him and said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except the God in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. Isn't that key? <laughs> that was the effect that it had on him. Okay, verse 16. But he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. So Naaman said, Then, if not, please let your servant be given two mule loads of earth, for your servant will no longer offer either burnt offering or sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord. Yet in this thing, may the Lord pardon your servant when my master goes into the temple of Rimon to worship there, and he leans on my hand, and I bow down in the temple of Rimon. When I bow down in the temple of Rimon, may the Lord please pardon your servant in this thing. And then he said to him, go in peace. And so he departed from him in a short distance. Now, there was a lot to get through there, um, but I felt like it was really important to read it because there's so many points in there. And I've got three main things that I wanted to look at this morning that we can uh, glean from, that we can apply to ourselves and our lives with walking with the same God. Um, so let's look at um, 
the first thing I wanted to look at was the significance of him being sent to the Jordan River. So why the Jordan River? Like he said, there was a lot better rivers around, cleaner, and he was quite indignant that he had to go to this perhaps dirty river. Um, so I looked up the meaning of uh, the Jordan, and it's the same in the Hebrew, in Second Kings, where it's referenced, and where it's referenced in the New Testament, it's also the same. And so the word for Jordan means the descender. And it's interesting, it's the one river in Palestine, its course is a little more than 200 miles um, from the roots of anti-Lebanon, um, and it heads to the Dead Sea. And so I got thinking about that. This river flows and it ends up in the Dead Sea. And it got me thinking about what a parallel that uh, you know, he, he would command him to go and wash himself seven times in this river that would, it takes things down to a dead place. Okay? So there's a principle there that we're going to unpack a bit more. Um, let's look at Mark uh, chapter 1, because there's another mention in the New Testament that you probably have read before about the Jordan River, and it's to do with Jesus' baptism. So Mark 1 Chapter uh, verse 4, John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Now it, uh, John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt round his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. Gives you quite a picture of him, doesn't it? You wouldn't want to get too close to him within kind of smelling range of his breath, maybe. You know, you might, I don't know if he was the type of guy that spat when he talked, you might end up with a locust leg on your face or something, you know. Like. Anyway, interesting who God chooses, right? Okay. Verse 7. So John preach, saying, There comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptised by John in the Jordan. And immediately, coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. And then a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So again, this points out the significance of the Jordan. And so there's a great parallel here to what God was doing uh, in the Jordan. So God, we all have our own Jordan, I believe, is what, you know, the word is saying to us here that as we approach God, as we're commanded of God to do something, whether you're just meeting God or whether you've known God, then when God calls you to him, when he gives you a command, it's for a good reason. Naaman didn't understand the command of God. Why be baptized in this dirty river? Why should I do that? But we see the outcome of the story. God had purpose in it. God had meaning in it. And so if you look at the parallel, the Jordan River, people were being baptised in for what? For the remission of sins, for the washing away of sins. So you could look at the sins being taken away and washed to the Dead Sea, a place where they're forgotten about where your sins are washed away. And so God always has a purpose in giving us a command, giving us something we, we might not understand. And so 
by faith, we need to choose to trust that. We need to choose to trust in the goodness of God. We need to put our feelings aside and stand on faith and we'll see what God is going to do. You know, Naaman must have had things that God wanted to deal with in him. He must have had a reason for seven times. You know, when God tells us to do something, he has knowledge of our heart. He sees the heart of man. And so he deals with the layers of our heart. And maybe Naaman had layers of his heart that God wanted to unravel as each time he went down in his pride and was baptised, came out, nothing happened. Then he was faced with that choice again, okay, I'll do it again. And I believe God was stripping away layers of his pride, dealing with things of sin that had hardened his heart you know, he was a great man, he was a man of valour, you know, he, he did good things, but he had this disease, you know. And we can look at the parallel of that, that sin is a disease in the world, that everyone who's not saved and walking with the Lord is suffering from. And so as he continued to humble himself, though he didn't, received the victory, he just kept going and kept stepping in faith and he got to the point where the final layer had been revealed and he got his miracle. So the significance of seven times. Seven's the number of completeness, if you look at the meaning of numbers in Scripture. It's the number of completeness and perfection, both spiritual and physical. It derives much of its meaning from being tied directly to God's creation of all things. According to some Jewish traditions, the creation of Adam occurred on uh, September 26, 3760 BC, which is on the Jewish calendar the first day of Tishri, which is the seventh month uh, on the Hebrew calendar. Uh, the word created is used seven times describing God's creative work and there are seven days in a week and God's Sabbath or ceasing of work and rest is on the seventh day. So there's a significance to the number seven and I was thinking also about how when uh, the disciples came to Jesus talking about forgiveness and they said, how often should I forgive my brother should it be seven times? And Jesus said, well, no, you should forgive them 70 times seven. And so there's, there's a great significance in the scripture about um, the number seven. And in Proverbs 24, verse 16, it says, for the lovers of God may suffer adversity and stumble seven times, but they will continue to rise over and over again. But the unrighteous are brought down by just one calamity and would never be able to rise again. And so I don't think there's actually like, I'm not trying to say that you're going to have to go through something seven times. You're going to have to pray seven times. You know, I don't have a triple seven t-shirt or something like that, you know. But what it means is that seven represents completeness. Seven represents perfectness. And so God has a perfect uh, answer for you. God has a perfect method for you to receive his promise. So I just want to encourage you, and I think that's what this you know, message is getting at, is that take heart when your prayer isn't answered because it's not the end of the story. There's a perfect time. And you've just got to come back and dip in the river again and see, because God is good and perfect, and he loves you. Don't buy into the lie that you've messed up, you've failed, because he loves you. He is love. Where we can go wrong is being like 
the unrighteous person at the end of Proverbs 24 and being brought down by just one calamity. Don't let that one calamity stay there because there'll be another calamity that will come and they'll pile up and they'll pile up. And that's why we see people lose their faith and walk away from the Lord. There is no calamity in your life he cannot touch. There is nothing that the presence of Jesus Christ cannot heal, cannot fix. There's nothing too great for him. And do you think it was by accident that Naaman was a leper? It was no accident. It was unfortunate. And God's not mean and like he have leprosy. <clears throat> and also we can think about the the blind man that Jesus healed, and they asked, well, Lord, who sinned because this man was born blind? And what was his answer? He said, no, this man was born blind that God might be glorified. So don't be surprised when calamity comes on in your life, but rather rejoice. How can you do that, you might say? (laughs) By faith. Faith over feelings. It's a choice. Study your God. Study the word. I am so grateful to be a part of Impact School of Ministry. I'm telling you, in the last six months that I've been going, taking classes, it has just opened up the word to me so much more. It's opened up who God is and... um, If you're thinking about it, if you're feeling prompted to take a class, take a step and give it a go. It's so good. I could talk about for hours the things I've learnt in the five classes that I've taken. And it's just been brilliant just to see what God has been able to unpack and do in my life. And it's benefited our family and our marriage, our parenting. Um... And I wanted to give a plug to get the book from our apologetics class, which was the one before, which is Letters from a Skeptic by uh, Boyd. What's his first name again? Gregory Boyd. Man, that book is chock-a-block full of answers to any question someone could fire you at you about God, things like, why did God create Satan? You know, why is there a hell? Why would a loving God create hell? There's an answer. Because God is good. And we need to be ready to defend the the goodness of God. You might not be able to get to Impact School of Ministry, um, but I want to recommend you look up this book on Amazon and give it a read. It's an easy read. It's a great read. There's an audio book of it on um, the... Yeah, yeah, on uh, Apple Books as well. And that brought me to tears at the end because it's read by the author. And it's the story of how his father gets saved and all the arguments that his really smart, grumpy old (laughs) seven-year-old father was throwing at him. Um, And he being a professor of uh, theology was able to... He was working with his students in their class and formulating the answers that they were going to give back to his dad. And it's a beautiful story of how the layers were peeled away and he ends up um, coming to Christ. Let's look at the third point, the significance of Naaman's healing. Luke 5, when he saw their faith, he said to them, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise up and walk? 
but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. And immediately he rose up before them and took up uh, what he'd been lying on and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed and they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, we have seen strange things today. So your calamity might be a sickness, it might be a a thing that you've just been struggling with. It might be a broken relationship. It might be a financial situation. God knows what you're going through. But what God did in Naaman's life, we saw the effect that how he became a man of reverence towards God. And though he was committed under his military obligations, being under the king, he he had to go to the temple of Rimon still. He was apologizing, you know, and he just, he didn't want to sin against God anymore. And I want you to understand something, that this is the purpose of calamities in our life, is that as we walk through it and as God heals, saves, delivered, as God is glorified, then the purpose of it is to show that the Son of Man, the Son of God, has the power to forgive sin on earth. If God can heal you, if God can show his truth above what's true, then his truth in the Word of God says that Jesus paid the price for your sin. So we can present that to the unbeliever. We can say, I know God's word is truth because he saved me. Not only did he save me from sin, but he saved me from this calamity. He worked this miracle in my life. He, he broke through. He, he did, you know, and you can fill in the blanks with your own story. But that is the purpose. That is the greatest purpose that hearts would be transformed because God loves the whole world and he wants to see the whole world saved. He wants to use your life story. So look at the things in your life that you wish were gone and just see them and go to the, the Jordan River with them. You know, have you heard of the term going to the river of the Lord? It's referred to as the Holy Spirit. It's the, the flow of the anointing like we experienced in worship this morning. We can bring those things into the river and we can trust and know that as we lay them there that they're going to just be washed away. They're going to wash down to the Dead Sea and God's name is going to be glorified. And God makes this easy for us to do by faith. And it's hard to do when you're beginning. As you're beginning your walk, if you haven't perhaps got this concept, if you haven't had the experience of seeing God come through for you, that's how important fellowship is. It's so important, our testimonies. You know, I want to encourage you, let's stir up those testimonies. Let's talk about them more to each other because they're encouraging. You know, they build faith. But God has given us his spirit that we can abide in him and we can have Holy Spirit gifts to make it easy. Let's go to John chapter 15. Um, this is such a special passage in the book of John, 
chapters 15, 16, and 17, it's, it's all amazing, but in my life, and I guess in this, this process for me, this body of scripture is, is like a life passage for me, and um, I'm just so honoured to be able to share it with you this morning. Um, and I just want to boast on the Lord a little, you know. Um, it's nothing of my good doing, but, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's what I stand on. And I've seen God work in other people's lives as he has my own as I've adopted this principle in my life of putting my faith over my feelings in a situation. I just wanted to share a couple of those with you before we, we go into the text. Just check on the time. So, I was working in Australia in construction, in a residential situation, and... At a time in my walk, I was coming out of a really hard situation that I, I didn't understand. Um, my first wife had uh, cheated on me with our best man's brother, um, and then I lost my business, and I got mad at God and decided that if this is what I get for going to church and following God, I'm out. <laughs> bad mistake but I from there I just you know it was amazing old friends started calling me up um, you know, and I with it, went on a very slippery slope back into sin and so I was coming out of that praise God and <clears throat> trying to kind of get back to where I used to be with God and so I started just seeking him and wanting to see him work in people's lives and wanting to share the gospel. And so I'd been praying and, and reading and believing and asking God for opportunity. And so I was working this day and um, I was at an apartment complex and an older man that lived there came out and just started hanging out with me and looking at what I was doing and asking me questions and um, he was home from work and I asked him, why are you home from work? And he's like, well, I threw my back out. I was out fishing in my boat and I was pulling up the anchor and popped my back out. And um, this guy was a hard-working man. He had a uh, crash repair shop and um, I knew of the business and it was like a, a long-time local business and everyone knew that this guy was a hard-working workaholic-type business owner. And uh, so for him to be off work, you know, his back, his back was bad. So <clears throat> I'm working away. I'd been listening to the teaching that was just really stirring me up and everything. And I just felt the unction, like God wants to do something here. But you know what? The Jade Leslie response was like, but what if... What if he doesn't want it? What if, what if he says this? What if he says that? And fear was, you know, encroaching around about. But I decided to take that to the Jordan River, if you will, throw that fear of rejection, fear of God not coming through, whatever. And in obedience, I offered him prayer. And he accepted and thought that I was going to say a nice little prayer when I knelt by my bedside at night, maybe light a candle for him or something like that. And he was like, okay, thank you, son, that's, that's good, yeah, thank you. I said, no, sir, I want to pray for you right now. What do you mean? I said, well, the Bible says that believers will lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. And I've seen it happen before. And by then, you know, faith was starting to rise in me. So I started sharing a few testimonies of what I'd seen God done. And how many know that when we share testimonies, like I was saying before, it builds an atmosphere of faith. You know, the, the word testimony means to speak again of. And when we do that, you know, we, we prick up the ears of the angelic, you know, we activate the Holy Spirit around 
because he wants to do more. And so this is what started happening. And I didn't kind of realize that at the time. But he accepted and I said, all right, look, simple as this. I'm just going to put my hand on your back and I'm going to say a simple prayer. And I just said, you know, Father, I thank you. And in the name of Jesus, I release healing over this back. Simple as that. And I felt heat go through my hand. And I opened my eyes and he looked at me. And I said, did you feel that? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> and I said, well, let's test it out. Can you, does it hurt still? And he's like, no. And I said, well, bend over and touch your toes. And I was like, that's a bit of a bold thing to say if someone with a bad back injury, but he did it. And so he bends over to touch his toes and he comes up, he's like, good boy. <laughs> and yeah, praise God, you know, like, wow. <laughs> and so that for me was like, you know, beginning of a, a journey. And so, you know, I... I started taking more opportunities and I've seen God do like some pretty cool things and I'm not the only one, I know that, but um, you know, it's so good to trust God you know, when you're faced with your own calamity or it might be someone else's calamity, just to know by faith, if you put your feelings aside, stand on faith, then you can see God come through. And okay, so what happens if he doesn't get healed? Because that's happened to me before. And I want to tell you, that was part of the fear that I was experiencing when you know, I was in, in that situation. Because I had memories of when I'd prayed for people and they hadn't been healed. But we need to look at that as one of the seven times. One of the part of the complete answer that God has for that person. So never, ever doubt God or doubt yourself if you don't see something happen when you pray because your prayer is a step in that answer. Hallelujah. How are we going? Are you tracking with me? Are we good? I got one more testimony and we'll get to that verse. I just want to brag on the Lord a little more. So I was in the um, national weightlifting team back in Australia. Back in the day, I, uh, at the age of 13, I weighed 40 kilos, which is about 80, 88 pounds. I was an eighth grader in high school and I just wanted to get some muscles, so I didn't get my you can get sand kicked in my face at the beach. But at that time, it was right around the, uh, after the Los Angeles Olympics, and in that Olympic Games, a weightlifter from my home state won the Olympic gold medal in the super heavyweight division. First time forever, probably. So he was a big hero and on the news, and so... I'd sort of watched that and that kind of inspired me and I remembered the technique and I got into weightlifting because of that inspiration. The coach uh, for the state squad came to our school and did a uh, clinic and I had a little bit of you know, understanding of the technique so he saw that and he invited me and gave me a, a scholarship to come and receive some training. So long story short, I started training and um, seeing a little bit of success, mainly because there was no one else doing it. <laughs> so I was like state champion in the, you know, the flyweight category um, out of two people. You know. <laughs> but um, I persisted and I loved it and uh, you know, um, was part of a team and a band of brothers. And, and so fast forward you know, four or five, six years down the track, I'm, uh, I'm in the middleweight division, I've kind of doubled my weight and size and, and I got to the point where I was uh, setting state records and, and I, I won the national 
title in that bodyweight category three times and won the Oceana title twice. And I've got this whole other life that I had, but God uh, interrupted me in the middle of that life. You know, I had dreams and, and visions of going to the Olympic Games and kind of following on in the footsteps of, that, uh, of Dean Lucan was the, the guy's name that won the Olympic gold medal. And the more that I pursued this dream of being the champion, the bigger the hole in my heart got because it wasn't full of God. And so God sent someone into my life, a bold evangelist, but really a brother, just a brother who had gotten a vision of this principle of sharing testimony of believing that his testimony would be an answer for someone's life. And so he approached me, and just to back up, give you the context of the story, I was working at the Institute of Sport in South Australia, um, which is where I trained, but I also worked in the gym to make some money on the side as a gym instructor, which was open to the public. And so all the best athletes in the state trained at this facility, but they let a certain amount of public use the facility. And so this guy, Ashley Williams, I'll never forget this guy, he was a legend. He uh, joined the gym and started sharing Jesus with everyone. And so it was getting around that there's a born-again freak in the gym, watch out, (laughs) you're going to get your turn. And there was... A knowing in my heart is like, I'm going to get my turn. And so he was kind of the butt of a lot of jokes. And he partly brought that upon himself because of the way he dressed. He kind of wore his track pants pulled up a little too high. He had his flip-flops on top of his socks. And uh, he kind of had the karate kid headband thing going. And But he approached me one evening and, and said, hey, I don't know if you've heard, but I believe in God. I'm like, oh, yeah, I've heard. And he said to me, he, there was a, like a, a moth. Now, in Australia, we have moths that are like size of like a finch with bigger wings. You know, so he, he, this moth had flown in the gym, and he grabbed it, and he was because I was the guy on duty, he brought it to me. I'm like, what do you want me to do with that? But he said to me, something I'll never forget, he said, if you look at this moth and you behold the stars of the heavens, they're just as great as one another. I'm like, how? He said, because the, the same creator created both of them. The one who created the stars in the universe and the whole universe created this moth. And that same power recreated me on the inside. 20 years ago, and he went on to tell me his testimony. And he shared of what God had done in his life. He shared about the miracles. He'd been protected. You know, he'd fallen out of a tree and not gotten hurt. He'd had hot oil poured over him and got protected. And, you know, these things. I, and I was really stunned because here I was in my life, being called of God but not knowing it, but feeling this, I've got to do something. I've got to worship God, but I don't know how. I was actually considering going into Islam because a good friend of mine was a Muslim. He was a slacker. He, he didn't really do it, but his family were devout. So I got to see the religion. But praise God, God sent a saint into my life and he testified of what God had done in his life. And it changed me. So praise God. Oh, so in the weightlifting, there was a, I had a developed tendonitis in my knees. This is a healing testimony I was, I was actually going to before I went that way. I struggled with tendonitis in my patella tendons for about two years, and I'm telling you, it was painful. Who's had tendonitis? So you know what I'm talking about. And I was only like, 19, 20 years old. 
I had to take medication every day to manage it. I had to pack my knees with ice after every time I lifted weights. And so this was my plight. And so I went, this was after um, I got saved, after this encounter with this guy. I got saved, baptised, filled with the Holy Ghost and into a good Bible-believing church where I had lots of fellowship. And so I had the opportunity to have prayer. So I was at a small group and I asked for prayer and nothing happened. And I was like, I had the state championships the next day. So I went home and I prayed again and just crickets. So the next morning I woke up and I got out of bed and I nearly fell to the floor because my knees were so sore. And I'm like, Lord, I prayed. You said you'd heal me. What am I going to do? And I heard this small voice say, just trust me, son. So with that, I went to the competition and I entered the weigh-in room and still sore. Got checked in, okay, to the warm-up room. Come on, God, you got to heal me at some point. And as I walked and I put my bag down with my gear, I went to sit down and normally I'd have to support myself. The pain was gone. And I was like, wow. <laughs> and I just jumped up and I was testing it out. I was like, yes. Thank you, God. So, praise God. Like, and that was the testimony that everyone saw, you know, and they, they had no answer for it. And, and, you know, there was quite a few people that God led to the Lord through my life, through, you know, what he was doing, you know, the calamities that I was facing. He was bringing glory, you know, to his name through them. And uh, in that competition, I, uh, I'll never forget, I just got healed. And so I was at the point where I'd been up against this record that was set that had been standing for a long time, and I was determined to break this record. And so <clears throat> I'd made quite a few lifts and... You know, the knees were great and I was feeling strong and got to this ultimate lift that I wanted to break this record. And so the bar was set and I'm kind of a, you know, hope my knees don't, hope I don't, you know, hope I don't undo what God's done, you know. It was pretty fresh in this. But I decided to go ahead for it. And so this was the last lift that I was going to perform in the competition. And I just want to kind of describe to you what the lift looks like. This is not going to bring any glory to God, but just for the story's sake. <laughs> so I don't know what I'd eaten the night before, but I was kind of gassy. <clears throat> and so I'm firing myself up. I approach the bar and my tummy's kind of rumbling a little bit. And I'm over the bar and I'm getting myself ready. I'm like, please, God. And as I launch off the ground, you can guess what happened. <laughs> and I'm, I'm having to push past my feelings <laughs> and have faith that I'm going to complete this lift and there was just under 200 pounds on the bar so the bar's kind of bouncing a little bit and you can imagine what that was doing and then I popped it above my head and I made the lift and everyone was laughing at me <laughs> so praise God <laughs> We can overcome anything through Christ who strengthens us. 
I don't know that I'm going to get to John 15. You can read that for your homework. Let me give you a quick overview of why I was going to talk about John 15. It's where Jesus introduces the concept of abiding, which is what helps us to be who we are. He talks about being the vine and where the branch is connected to him. He talks about abiding or staying connected to him. And when we do that, we would bear much fruit. So, you know, when a, a grapevine, you know, bears fruit, it's because that branch is connected to the vine. So when we stay connected to him in the face of our calamity or others' calamities, we can bear fruit. Galatians 5.22 says the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, faith, patience. So we can have all those things supernaturally. We must never let any situation intimidate us, whether it's yours or someone else's. Because God is peeling back layers. You know, be, be that person to take that person or take yourself to the Jordan River of your life and dip in it. Get in the river. Take someone with you into the river. That's what Ashley did for me. Changed my life. You know, he took me to the river with his story. And he compelled me to, to jump in. So, abide in Christ. You'll bear fruit. And, you know, the, when you read those chapters, it really points towards the love that God has for us. And Jesus talks about the love that the Father had for him and that now he gives to us, that we have the same love relationship with the Father that Jesus had. And the Bible says that love perfected casts out fear. Folks, there's no need to fear. Whatever you're going through, whatever's in your body, whatever is in your life, in your family, you've got children that aren't following God, you've got parents that aren't following God, it's okay. It's not over yet. And you are a part of the solution. And if it doesn't happen in your timing, that's okay. It doesn't need to be. Trust God. He's got this. <laughs> He's got you. He's good. He's coming back for us. You know, it's not going to look good in the world. We know that, don't we? The Bible speaks of it. But we've got the answer. The answer for COVID, we've got the best vaccine. <laughs> Healing power of God. Praise God, Pastor Don and Becky, negative test. Now some people have had a positive test. I've lost people that I know and love from COVID, believers. But we must never question God or the power. Don't ever let that diminish your courage to offer prayer to someone because it's not the end of the story. We're in a war with an enemy who hates us, who's the author of sickness. And though it seems like some people have lost that battle, they haven't lost. They've gone on to glory. And God in his infinite wisdom works through that. We don't know how, but he does. But it's up to us to trust him and to know that he is good no matter what. He's the God who forgives. He gives, forgives the mother who aborted her baby. He forgives the murderer. He forgives the corrupt politician. He forgives any sin 
that man can commit. We've got to be the same. We can move in that same love that Jesus spoke of when he hung upon the cross. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Don't hold any unforgiveness in your heart because that will stop you abiding. So abide in Christ today. Let's just pray. Let's go to the Father. Lord, I thank you so much for what we have in you. And Lord, I thank you for the kingdom of God. You commanded us to go to declare the kingdom of God is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, you told us. Father, forgive us for believing that we can't do that, for any belief that we have contrary to that. Lord, you said we should do that. Anything you said that we should do, you give us the power to do. So Lord, let us renew our minds today. Give us a refreshing revelation of your goodness and your power that is able to overcome leprosy and death and any sickness. Let us take that into our world and in our own lives. Let us just be washed in your river continually and let us let you peel the things off, peel the unbelief off of our life and see it cast into the Dead Sea. been listening to Destiny City Church, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. For more information, visit us online at destinycity.org.